Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One podcast. We're doing something a little bit different this week. We got a suggestion from a couple people to try to upload the audio-only version of our YouTube mock drafts here to the Box and One podcast. So what you're about to listen to is our audio recording, our explanations, and our prospect breakdowns of all of the guys that entered the first round in Mock Draft 3.1, which was just released yesterday, coming after the NBA Draft Combine. Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One, and we're here with Mock Draft 3.1. That's right. We have updated our mock board following the NBA Draft Combine, which took place in Chicago last week. A lot of rumors swirling, a lot of risers and fallers. And now that the dust has settled at least a week removed from the NBA Draft Lottery, we're starting to see how the order at the top of the draft might shake out. So stick with us here. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and like this video. But let's run through Mock Draft 3.1. Remember, our Mock Drafts are built on what we think will happen, not necessarily what we would do if we were in the position of the drafting team. And right now, rumors are circulating that Jabari Smith out of Auburn has emerged as the top overall prospect for the Orlando Magic who landed the number one pick in last week's draft lottery. It's easy to understand the appeal of Smith when you watch him play. A dynamic shooter for somebody of his size, about six foot ten, great stroke and release, is able to do it, catch and shoot, pick and pop, even some movement shooting sets, and has a really good wonderful pull-up. He also projects as a long switchable defender, somebody that can get into the basketball a little bit, defend multiple positions, play both the three and the four, and maybe even some small ball five. We have our reservations about Smith a little bit high here at number one because we simply don't believe that he's as dynamic with the ball in his hands as some other prospects, but he definitely feels comfortable taking pull-up jumpers. He's an elite type of play finisher. His size, natural athleticism in the open floor, and shooting ability are just incredibly rare combinations of traits to have all in the same player. That's why Smith is quickly rising up draft boards to become the number one prospect in this year's draft class. From there, the Oklahoma City Thunder have to be pretty excited about the potential to get Chet Holmgren number two overall. He is a franchise game changer over the long term with his defensive potential, and I think he's still scratching the surface of what he can show offensively. Really skilled with the ball in his hands, a unique skill set for a seven-footer, and it was kind of limited by the Gonzaga offense. Played more as a play finisher and, and somebody around the basket than what a spread out NBA floor is really going to allow him to do. So a ton of potential for a guy like Holmgren. We don't necessarily buy into concerns about his, his strength and his size. Yes, he has a thinner frame, but he's super competitive. And to us, that's what's going to allow him to be successful just like he has at lower levels in the NBA. He's a little bit of that combination of a four and a five, and because he's so defensively impactful, he can guard in so many different ways. Drop coverage in the pick and roll, switching on the perimeter, playing the four, or playing the five. Offensively, we do not believe he's going to be a primary creator in the half court, but he is a very good distributor, understands the game of basketball well, and just makes an impact. An elite finisher at the basket, Chet Holmgren going two to Oklahoma City is the perfect fit. That means at third overall, the Houston Rockets wind up with the guy we think is the best player in this draft class, Paolo Bancaro. 
We're huge fans of his polished offensive upside. 6'10 or 6'11 really handles the ball well, is a freight train of a driver when he gets downhill, but plays very under control. His passing is so underrated, and that's an important aspect of his game to really understand and how to project him at the next level. He is a guy who can potentially score on three levels, is polished out of isolations, but just makes the right play. I think he loves to distribute, and you can run an offense through him, especially in the playoffs. He is the best isolation scorer in this draft class, particularly from 18 feet and in. That isolation scoring ability always translates well to the NBA as long as he can be efficient. And if there's one thing Bancaro showed us, it's that he's very efficient in the mid-range. I do believe his three-point shot is going to translate and he's going to continue to shoot the ball better from deep as well as be a better defender when the stakes are higher for competition levels. He's a solid but not spectacular defender, but you're drafting a guy like him to come in and change the offensive trajectory of your franchise. Really think this is a steal for Houston. Things start to get interesting with the Sacramento Kings on the clock at fourth overall. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but right now we have Jaden Ivey as a top three prospect on our board and really a guy that we have a hard time envisioning falling below this fourth overall selection. One of the reasons for that is that if the Kings decide that they don't want Ivy, I think that the best overall haul that they can get for number four is going to be for a team who desperately needs to trade up and get a franchise-changing point guard like Ivy can be. And there is very little doubt that Ivy has that athletic ability. He is a top-tier athlete on the likes of John Morant, Derrick Rose, and Russell Westbrook. The way that he plays when he gets downhill is sensational. Quick first step goes from 0 to 100 like nobody else can and has turned into an efficient finisher around the basket. His three-point jumper got so much better from freshman to sophomore years, but it's more so a catch-and-shoot or a step-back-in-isolation type of play right now. He's not great in the mid-range and needs to clean up a little bit in terms of his decision-making, but the natural tools that Ivy has make him a no-doubter to be a top-five pick in this year's draft and a good fit for whoever gets him at four. This year's man of mystery is Shaden Sharp out of Kentucky, and it's hard to even say that he's coming out of Kentucky because he never played a collegiate game. A little bit of a polarizing prospect to many, there's no denying the upside that's there just by watching the highlights. He measured at the combine with about a 6'11 wingspan, is super bouncy and light off the floor, has a decent handle, can pull up from deep range, and really has a, an underrated feel as a passer. Now, look, this is a late riser in the high school ranks that got himself all the way to being one of the top guys in his class, reclassified to go to Kentucky mid-year, and now he's declaring for the NBA draft. The one thing we do know about Shaden Sharp is that he is an elite athlete, and the fluidity of all of his athletic tools are incredibly functional for the game of basketball. If you combine that with the flashes of three-point shooting and isolation scoring that we've seen, he has every raw tool that you would want to develop a superstar for the future. Any team that drafts Shaden is going to have to be a little bit patient with his development. I think the Pistons are in a solid spot right now to be patient and know that athletically, Sharp is the perfect complement to Cade Cunningham. At six are the Pacers, and this is really kind of best player available territory. Keegan Murray is not necessarily a superstar in our view, but is a really, really good second or third option. And the Pacers are getting an analytically tested prospect who can play the three and the four and maybe even the small ball five. 
Murray was a do-it-all offensive piece for the Iowa Hawkeyes last year. He's underrated in terms of his control off the bounce, really thrives at creating contact, and has a ton of spin moves in his arsenal. Very patient as a player and a driver, but a solid mid-range pull-up scorer gets to the basket and thrives on contact without committing a ton of offensive fouls. Iowa used him out of the post, which is not going to be a frequent NBA area for him, but his three-point jumper is consistent enough that he can thrive in an off-ball role and be very good in pick-and-pop situations. Murray is not an elite passer, but he does work very hard, scores from all different areas on the floor, and is an adequate defender. I think the Indiana Pacers could do a lot worse than a guy like Murray here. He fits in what they need positionally, is very complimentary to any type of future stars or players that they would bring in on their roster, and is the right type of guy to take a swing on here at 6th overall. Coming out of the NBA Draft Combine, it's becoming increasingly clear that Dyson Daniels is not making it out of the top 10. He had a great showing in terms of three-point ability, and the improved stroke, mechanics, and consistency of his jump shot really leave him as a prospect without many flaws. Defense is his calling card. He's going to be a fantastic defender because he is six foot six, maybe six seven as a lead guard, while also having a very long wingspan. Daniels is a complimentary type of playmaker and a do-it-all guy offensively. His feel and IQ for the game, particularly as a passer out of the ball screen reads, is something that gets underrated because the G League Ignite simply didn't space the floor well enough around him. Now, that's not to say that Daniels is a pure point guard and a guy that only needs to play with the ball in his hands. He attacks closeouts really well, makes sounds, sound decisions, moves the ball through extra passes, and again, is turning into a solid catch-and-shoot prospect. Daniels also has one elite trait that we love from 5 to 8 feet, which is his floater. It's, it's fantastic. I think Daniels would be a really good fit in Portland. He played well next to Damian Lillard because he can come in and play from day one. We vehemently believe that Benedict Matherin to the New Orleans Pelicans is a match made in heaven. He does all of the little things well that help create an offense going from good to great. He's a very good spot-up shooter, and the ability to play off-ball is important for this roster as it continues to build around Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Long-term, I think Matherin has a lot more upside than just being a guy who stands around the three-point line and drills shots. First and foremost, we love him as a movement shooter, a guy you can utilize off-screens. That type of threat, and Matherin to us, is the best first-round prospect in this class at being a movement shooter, is going to pair incredibly well with Zion Williamson. Beyond just the shooting, Matherin showed a ton as the season went on at being a dependable scorer off the bounce, somebody who can create his own jump shot, and even having some solid passing touch. There's a lot more upside than people think with Matherin, which is why I love him at 8. I've got to be honest, the San Antonio Spurs are a little bit of a wild card in this draft. They always are, but with four selections in the top 38, you can uh, really count on some sort of movement going on with their picks. I think they end up keeping this ninth overall selection, though, the best one that they're going to get their hands on. And Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor makes sense to me as one of those high upside swings that the Spurs could love. If there's one thing we know about the Spurs is that they have a track record of developing really good athletes with good feel for the game into being dependable shooters in the half court. Sohan has so many other aspects of his game. He's an elite, versatile defender, probably the best wing defender in this year's class, and does have the ability to play one through five. 
if the jump shot catches up. And it was solid this year, 36% on catch and shoot looks from spot up situations in the half court. If it continues to develop and he can be a really dependable threat in that regard, he'll be a fantastic fit for the San Antonio Spurs and a great pick at number nine. We're going best player available here for the Washington Wizards at number 10. And part of the reason for that is because I think Jalen Duran at 10 is a supremely good value. He's 18 years old, has a ton of upside, being both a rim protector and a lob finisher on the offensive end with supreme value. The big thing with Duran is that he's only 18 years old. He's the youngest guy in this year's draft class and is going to be able to continue to get better as he finds polish in the NBA. But in terms of his standing reach, his defensive instincts, his leaping ability, and just how much better he got in year one at Memphis, it's really easy to believe that he can turn into a special type of rim protector. Now the other reason that we have Duran going here to number 10 at the Wizards is simply because we don't really know what Washington is going to do. Best player available for them is always going to be the, the major concern, but they're a team that has one major position of need, and that's point guard. We don't necessarily see the value in taking one of the lead guards available here over a guy like Durant. We also think that they're a team that could make a trade on draft day, particularly if the top nine don't shake out the way that they'd like. Quite frankly, the Wizards are an impossibly tough team to try to predict right now because they're caught in between wanting to go into a rebuild and having a superstar in Bradley Beal that they need to build around and have some urgency in doing so. I think Jalen Duran could go as high as sixth overall to Indiana, but if he's available at 10, would be a, a solid grab for the Wizards. The most Tom Thibodeau pick in this draft would be Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. And it's not just because he's a really rugged, tough defender. We'll get to his defense in a little bit. But it's because I think he has the warrior type of mentality and the ability to come in and play right away that would really help this team. Now, on court-wise, the Knicks need a little bit more rim pressure and guys who can create out of the pick and roll and just be that lead option. Davis is somewhere caught in between both. He's not incredibly explosive off the bounce and lives a lot in the mid-range off of step backs and really tough makes through contact. But he's not going to be cast, or at least ideally, as a lead scorer at the NBA level. Davis is an adequate three-point shooter in the catch-and-shoot sense, and I think his best trait is his on-ball defense and competitiveness. He can chase shooters around the floor all day long and does an awesome job locking up really good scorers one-on-one. -on -one. If Davis's offense is simplified, I think he can do that incredibly well in the NBA, making him a great fit for the Knicks. At some point, you have to take a swing on A.J. Griffin's upside. At 12th overall, I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are the right team to be able to do so. Their title window is not open and probably won't be for at least a couple of years. They have a slew of future first round picks, so why not swing for the fences outside of the top three? And A.J. Griffin, in our opinion, is an absolute home run type of swing. You could easily strike out, and there are plenty of reasons to see how you might. He struggles on the defensive end and isn't the most versatile guy in the half court. But he does have a little bit of one-on-one -on -one tough shot making ability, played super athletic when he was younger in high school, and posted prolific catch and shoot numbers this year as a freshman at Duke. The key for Griffin long term is going to be figuring out the defensive stuff, and that goes hand in hand with regaining some of the athleticism he once had. We want to see Griffin succeed. Please don't confuse any of our uh, scruples about his play for wanting him to fail, but 
For a lot of reasons, we are very trepidatious about picking Griffin too early, but if there's one team that can get away with it in our eyes, it's Oklahoma City at 12. Let's stay in the Blue Devil family as Mark Williams is another guy who's going to be a decent riser coming out of the combine. He measured with a 9 foot 9 inch standing reach, which is absolutely absurd. This is a guy who's almost touching the rim when he just stands underneath the basket and puts his arms straight up. You can see the functional conversion of all of those traits and measurements. He's a fantastic rim protector who uses his length to intimidate guys and doesn't leave his feet too early to try and block shots. He's already really polished with angles, does a great job communicating on the back line, and covers up the mistakes of others. Offensively, he has a clear translation to the NBA as well, and his length and athleticism really factor into that. He's a fantastic finisher around the basket. About 72% from the floor this year led the NCAA in dunks. Put him with a great pick and roll partner like LaMelo Ball and Mark Williams provides so much return on investment. A very good rim protector, a guy who can grow into his role over the next couple years and provides value on offense. What more could the Hornets be looking for with the first of their two picks here in the middle part of the first round? Malachi Branham didn't go through a ton of workouts or play at the NBA Draft Combine, but one thing is clear, he's a very dynamic type of kid who's more of a homebody and is certainly a, a great locker room presence. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers would be wise to make an investment going after the hometown guy. Malachi Branham exploded in the second half of the season for the Ohio State Buckeyes, particularly from a lead guard scoring standpoint. You can play him at the two and know that he'll be able to create a little bit for himself, which alleviates the burden on guys like Darius Garland. My complaint with Branham has always been that he's more of a tough shot maker than somebody who creates space or easy looks for himself or others. He thrives in the mid-range, plays a very deliberate, slow, physical style. And that tough bucket making has a ton of value, but it's not aesthetically the type of style of play that we're necessarily drawn to. Combine that with a couple of defensive concerns and not really being a great athlete unless he has a runway to get towards the rim. He's receiving even some top 10 interest at this point, so if Cleveland can get him at 14, that seems like a really good get for the organization. O'Shea Agbaji from Kansas is a guy that we've consistently thought would be a fantastic fit with the Charlotte Hornets. A guy who can come in and play tough-nosed defense, contribute right away to a team that needs a little bit of impact on the wings, and just be a very good three-point shooter. He's a fantastic athlete, but doesn't use that functionally very well. A four-year college player, Igbaji's coming off of a national championship win and is a fantastically hard worker. I think that the Charlotte Hornets, who are looking for role players to surround a core that they have with LaMelo Ball, would be in incredibly wise to prioritize one of the veteran guys here. I think Igbaji's going to have a ton of interest around this range in the draft. I think Charlotte would be a really good place for him to land, and the Hornets benefiting a lot from his presence. If you follow our YouTube channel, you know that we are unabashed fans of Jaden Hardy and believe that he's going to be one of the top six or seven players in this draft class when all is said and done. He's going to be a guy whose draft stock is really volatile all the way up until draft night. But let's make the pitch here for Jaden Hardy, a three-level scorer who, as a teenager, commanded the lead role in a professional team's offense. That's incredibly rare and speaks to the upside that he has. Yes, the efficiency wasn't necessarily there, but he showed flashes from all three levels. And when you surround him with much more three-point shooting than he got at the Ignite level, he's going to be very, very good. 
I think the Atlanta Hawks need to get some other primary creator, a guy who can at least get his own shot off in their system to alleviate some of the burden that goes on Trey Young. Whether it's more staggering their minutes or trying to get these guys to play together and become an offensive dynamo, I think that this can work because Hardy is a little bit underrated of a playmaker, particularly off the bounce in terms of how he creates for others. The Hawks have been known to swing for the fences a bit in drafts, and I think that this is the right type of swing for them to make here at 16th. A little bit earlier on, we had Paolo Bancaro going to the Houston Rockets. Here at 17, we're bringing in Usman Jang. He's a solid defender and a guy who, for his size, just has a unique combination of skills. He's much more of a facilitator, and anytime you bring in two really good young scorers, guys like Bancaro and, and Jalen Green, having somebody who can play next to them positionally while creating for others is really important. The right type of player comparison for Jang is going to be a little bit like a Nick Batum. Somebody who's a good facilitator, can guard opposing point guards, and really pester them both in the full court and in the half court. That's the role forward for Jang. Now, he also has a great deal of more upside. He played incredibly well over the final parts of the season for the New Zealand Breakers, commanded a large role in their offense, and flashed and demonstrated some really tantalizing one-on-one -on -one scoring ability. There's a lot that needs to go right for Jang to really realize his full potential, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that he has one of the five or six highest ceilings of any prospect in this class. He could go as high as 12th to the Oklahoma City Thunder, a really good fit if he's still available at 17 right here for the Houston Rockets. A guy that Rockets fans are pretty high on, Tari Eason to Chicago, strikes me as also a pretty good fit. The athletic combo in the front court that Eason and Patrick Williams can have would really open things up for the Chicago Bulls defense. Eason is a walking mismatch on the defensive end. He can guard one through five, is fantastic at using his activity and his arms to poke away steals, and then play in transition. Defensively, very little to worry about with him. Offensively, this is where things get a little bit dicey. I think Eason is a really good rim attacker when he's going right. He showed some flashes and improvements as a three-point shooter this year, but his feel and his touch are somewhat questionable. He's got a long way to go on the offensive end of the floor, but there are definitely flashes. If you draft Eason, do so knowing he can come in and make an immediate impact on the defensive end while having a little more upside. Minnesota Timberwolves here at 19, they just stole Tim Connolly, the general manager, away from the Denver Nuggets. And Connolly is known for swinging for the fences a little bit more during drafts, but if you look at the way this Minnesota Timberwolves roster is constructed, they need defense, they need IQ, and they need reliability. And I think EJ Liddell brings all three of those things to the table. He's a long-armed rim protector and somebody who can play both the four and the five, is switchable a little bit on the perimeter, but just has such great instincts that he can help blanket coverage around some of the mistakes that other guys are going to make on this Timberwolves team. He fits in really well on the offensive end because he's more of a playmaker than he is a scorer. He was a fantastic passer for the Ohio State Buckeyes this year, operated more out of post-ups, but I think that he's going to be able to translate that playmaking to the modern spots in the NBA. Defense is definitely going to be Liddell's calling card. We've seen guys like Grant Williams thrive in the NBA playoffs because of their versatility to defend different star players, and Liddell's going to have to come in and play that role. He's not a guy that's going to get a ton of touches offensively or really be a focal point, but he can create when he has the ball in his hands, 
And if he's able to be a pick and pop guy or continue to knock down shots the way he did this year at Ohio State, he'll return enough offensive value to stay on the floor. We have a lottery grade on Ty Ty Washington, so it pains us to say him falling this far in our own mock draft, but this is a realistic possibility as different athletes and late risers continue to shoot up the board. Ty Ty Washington in San Antonio would be an unbelievable fit. This is a guy who was a little bit miscast at Kentucky. Yes, he's an excellent shooter who can play off ball, has a lightning quick release, and is awesome at creating his own in the mid-range. But he is a true pick and roll playmaker, something we got to see for flashes this year when Severe Wheeler, the point guard for Kentucky, was out of the lineup. Washington was hampered as the season went on by an ankle injury that he just couldn't shake. And no, he's not an elite athlete. That's one of the reasons why we can see him falling a little bit into the middle to later parts of the first round. But he's a very skilled playmaker, a guy who can use his shot making ability to draw defenses to him and then create for others when he attacks the basket. I know the Spurs already have a ton of guards, but this is a combination of best player available still on the board and somebody who fits the organizational prerogative of the San Antonio organization. A high character guy with a lot of upside. While the Denver Nuggets of the past have always been prioritizing high swings in the draft, I think this is the year that they go for the safer option. And Marjan Bochamp is kind of the right guy to walk both paths. He does have a ton of upside to create more with the ball in his hands than he showed at the G League Ignite. His athleticism is top tier, his length incredibly impressive, and he had a lot of offensive playmaking on both the AAU and community college circuits before going to the Ignite. But for the Nuggets, the title window is open right now. Hopefully they'll be fully healthy next year, having somebody that can come in, spot up on the perimeter and knock down shots, but be a valuable wing defender from day one in the postseason is incredibly vital. If Bochamp is still available here at 21, I think that the Denver Nuggets are the right type of team to maximize how he plays and utilize him from day one. A late riser in this draft process, Terquavion Smith really helped himself at the draft combine, playing really well in the scrimmage that he played in and showing off that electric scoring ability that he was able to flash at NC State. Over the final 11 games of his season, he basically averaged 20 points a game. And he is very, very thin and very raw right now. One of the COVID casualties of a guy who lost a little bit of time in development just based on where he lived and the lack of access to high-level competition. But you could see him figuring out as the season went on how to get to his spots and score. He can play on ball or off ball. And as long as he has a floater in his bag, the lack of finishing around the basket is not going to be a huge problem. Long term, the Grizzlies need another scoring option. I'm not necessarily sold on the thought of Terquavion Smith and John Morant being able to play side by side, but at the very least, they have two first round picks here in the later part of the 20s and need to be able to swing on high upside guys who could be best player available. Smith's shooting range is really tantalizing, and because of that and just how well he worked out in the combine, we have him as a top 22 guy. Speaking of late risers, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara is one guy that was incredibly fortunate to rise through the draft combine process. He measured at about six foot five with shoes on with a seven foot two wingspan, incredibly long and has a fantastic combination of skills. 
He's a potential three-level scorer and a really good passer. He does it with his weak hand. He makes proactive reads out of the pick and roll. And what I always appreciate, he involved his rollers and his big man quite a bit. Williams is the right combination of high-level upside and dependable role player floor. He's shown three-level scoring ability. When you're drafting guys to play with the ball in their hands, that's incredibly important, especially when you think about his size and his length. He can shoot over the top of guards if you play him at that two-guard spot because he has the body and frame of almost a four. He's very good at, at being shifty in tight spaces, using his body to create contact, and just making smart, savvy reads. Combine that with the fact that he's a very good catch-and-shoot prospect, and you can see where the floor comes in for him. This pick at 23 may stay with the Brooklyn Nets or be deferred to the 76ers. Quite frankly, I think Jalen fits in very well with either organization. If you watched the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Bucks and the Celtics, you probably noticed that Milwaukee needs a little bit more three-point shooting. Well, Christian Brown can come in and play from day one while providing that. He was a 40% catch-and-shoot guy this year at Kansas, combines that with a do-it-all mentality, an unbelievable fiery competitiveness, and a lot more athleticism than he gets credit for. That athleticism shows up most functionally on the defensive end, where he is a gnat defending, particularly smaller guys, but likes to crowd drivers' airspace and doesn't allow them to drive past him. He moves his feet very well laterally and is just a very smooth athlete. Those are things that we value, as well as the competitiveness. Look, if you're going to play next to Giannis Antetokounmpo, you have to be able to knock down shots, and that's one thing I'm confident Brown can do well at the next level. He's six foot seven and has a very, very smooth stroke. Shooting is going to be his calling card on the offensive end, but he makes great decisions when attacking closeouts, both for himself and for others. That's going to be really important as the Milwaukee Bucks love to space the floor and they need guys who are secondary or tertiary creators to just attack and make the right play. The smooth nature of his athleticism as well as his competitiveness should make him a first round pick and a bargain for a team trying to win a title right now. I don't think the San Antonio Spurs can keep three first-round picks on their roster coming into next year, so a draft and stash possibility is certainly there with Nikola Jovic out of Mega. He impressed us a ton over the summer in the U19 World Games, and that's some of the highlights that you're seeing right now, where he thrived in transition as kind of a 6'10 point forward, really good passer and playmaker out of the pick and roll, and has the ability to create his own shot. As the year went on, Jovic had an up-and-down type of campaign. He struggles on the defensive end and doesn't really have a natural position to guard. That's why I think he's a little bit farther away from coming over and making an impact in the NBA than others might think. But the size, the shooting touch, the playmaking feel, they're all very legitimate and they're reasons to take Jovic in the first round. He could go as high as the late part of the lottery, but I think it's much more realistic to see him falling this far down and being a target for San Antonio. We're getting into that part of the year where it seems like there are some guys that have had promises made to them. Jake LaRavia shut down a lot of his workouts around the time of the NBA draft combine, which gives us the feeling that he's going to be a first round pick. It's easy to understand why when you watch him play. He's a really smooth six foot eight shooter, makes great decisions when attacking closeouts, but if he can knock down shots at a high volume in the NBA, he provides a ton of value as a role, role player and a spot up threat. 
I think LaRavia has to come in and guards fours a little bit more in the NBA, not necessarily a very switchable guy. His game is not built on athleticism. It's craft, it's power, it's IQ, and he is pretty strong for his size. But I would caution people on thinking that he's going to come in and have a really high level playmaking ability just because he had high assist numbers at Wake Forest. A good ball mover and extra pass guy, the value in LaRavia in Dallas would be spotting up on the perimeter and surrounding Luka Doncic. The Miami Heat are always going upside swinging and finding guys that others have written off. There was a point in this draft cycle when Kendall Brown was thought to be a maybe top five pick. He is that dang athletic and really impactful on the defensive end. Miami has two MOs, defensive impact and guys who are in incredible shape. I think Kendall Brown checks both boxes. And if you believe any of those pre-draft workout videos, his shot is improving at a rate that could give a team some upside to believe that he can shoot sooner rather than later in his NBA career. Again, the athleticism, the defensive impact is the calling card for Brown. He impacted games in every single way at Baylor this year and was fantastic in the open floor. His athleticism is one of the top five or six guys in this class in that regard. It may take Brown a couple years to force his way onto an NBA floor, but that's okay. He can sit and develop in the Miami system and learn from a great mentor and a guy like P.J. Tucker. I think Miami would be an excellent landing spot for Kendall Brown, and he's worth an upside swing at 27. Perhaps no organization should value IQ more than the Golden State Warriors, as they have one of the most unorthodox offenses and a switchable defense that requires high IQ to play in. Harrison Ingram is a clunky fit in a lot of NBA offenses. He's a big physical 6'8 guy who doesn't shoot the ball incredibly well from three. But you can see areas in which he can be more of a frontcourt wing creator in that Sean Livingston type of role within Golden State's offense. He's a very, very heady passer, a guy who can brutalize smaller guys one-on-one, -on -one, and does have the ability to create out of the pick and roll. Upside-wise, what Ingram really brings to the table is strong defense. I think that's going to be his calling card at the NBA level, being a physical mismatch and, and switchy defender. The Warriors need one or two more of those guys to be able to come in and just play solid minutes as they compete for a championship. And Ingram does have upside if he can continue to shoot the ball the way he showed in some flashes this year for Stanford. We really thought about pulling the trigger on Dalen Terry a pick earlier, but if he's still available here at 29 for Memphis, I would love to see this fit. The Grizzlies value high IQ guys who are analytically efficient, but also really good connector pieces. And Dalen Terry stands out as the elite type of connector guy at the later part of the first round. Six foot seven with a near seven foot wingspan. He's incredibly long and combines that with awesome playmaking ability off the bounce for others. His best role is gonna be being a pest on the defensive end who can cross match against point guards and really help blanket John Morant from some matchups against lead creators so that he doesn't have to guard them all game long. Terry is athletic and loves to play in transition, but in the half court, we have hoped that he can impact the game off ball because he has turned himself into a reliable catch and shoot threat. He's got a long way to go to continue to get better, but I think that gives him upside to help the Grizzlies, both in the shorter term area and long term next to John Morant. We wrap up the first round with Max Christie, a guy that I know is somewhat unpopular to see going in the first round, but Christie made the decision to stay in this year's draft class before the combine. And 
To us, that tells me he's receiving a lot of good feedback. He was thought of as a lottery prospect coming into this year and really didn't play that horribly. He just didn't shoot the ball well consistently across the entire season. I understand how that could be troublesome for a guy whose main role is as a shooter, but we believe in his jump shot and think that he provides enough defensively to give that 3 and D quintessential value. So why Oklahoma City here at 30? Well, they're a franchise that can always find ways to space the floor with three-point shooters. It's something that they were dead last in the NBA at this year. And with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chet Holmgren on their roster, making sure the complementary pieces who can come in and play off ball are very important around that court. Christie fits both role-wise and timeline-wise in Oklahoma City. I think there's some upside for him to be a little bit better off the bounce that he's given credit for as well.